So good evening. Tonight we're going to be talking about uh, how could lifetime deposits change the Fife rental market. Now, the Westminster Schedule publication of their white paper for the private rented reform bill, which incorporates proposals to forbid Section 21 evictions and introduce lifetime deposits in England, has been suspended until 2022. Now, this will be coming in England, and it's not pertinent to Scotland. However, you know what happens. If something happens somewhere else, it tends to end up here. So we're going to talk about this, and if there's an implication for us in the Fife property rental market. QVT. This is actually quite worrying because, um, you know, there's a raft of legislation coming through for private landlords and investors. And, you know, fair enough, it should be. However, as I said to the Housing Minister, Patrick Harvey, yesterday, it's all very well bringing this legislation in. But who's going to enforce it? It's never been enforced in ages. So on the show tonight, we're talking about how could lifetime deposits, if it comes into place in the English market and it gets replicated up here, how could it affect the Fife property market itself? So I've got a Richard Cook, Lettings Director at Five Properties. Hi, Richard. How are you? Evening, Jim. How are you? And James Watson, seasoned investor and uh, ready to go as hey, well. Um, all prime, James? Yeah, I'm good to go. Right. Okay. Um, and people, you know, if you want to ask some questions, please feel free to put something in the comments. We'll we'll get your message. Um, uh, keep it clean, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it, really, in a nutshell, guys. Lifetime deposits are coming in. So what does this mean? The additional time is required to give an, a chance to create a level playing field uh, to reforms of both landlords and tenants in the private rental sector in the English market. Um, it, th in this article itself, and I put the article on, um, it basically said, you know, we're, we're going to talk about what lifetime deposits means. Whilst any law in England would not automatically come into force in Wales and Scotland, I think it's important to consider what's happening in England in, our, in case our government decide to do exactly the same. Uh, how could a lifetime deposit scheme work? How could they both benefit both five landlords and five tenants? And uh, when the tenant moves between rented homes, they need the deposit for the new home before being released from their old home. So would it surprise you if I said the average five rented home deposit stands at £1,028? Does that surprise you, James? It seems particularly high for me, but then it I, does, I, eh? I invest in a particular type of property, not at that threshold. And I think that's it. I think that's really what it comes down to. And 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 I think I didn't think I've ever had a deposit at that height before. So it's not it's not something I'd be as well. So that tends to incorporate the the top end. I wouldn't say the top end of the market. I would say the more expensive end of the market. Um, I would say. It's not really the top end. I mean, Richard, what's, were you surprised about that when I flashed that yeah. figure up? Yeah, I did think it was, I mean, like, like James says, can we, what we deal with generally, that is quite a high deposit. But I think it's, it's driven to that point by areas that are obviously higher value property and command obviously higher deposits. And that's what yeah, kind of makes, yeah. that, makes that balance. What um, areas would that typically be then, Richard? Well, I think if you're looking at Fife, obviously areas like the East Newcombe, St Andrews and things like that obviously command a yeah. lot higher rentals. 
And then I think overall for Scotland, obviously, you're, you're going to be taking into consideration Edinburgh and Glasgow and places like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, this uh, lifetime deposit thing is quite a, an interesting topic and people might be like, what is this? It's not relevant to us. Um, but like you say, it's usually par for the course if it's happening south of the border, it's going to end up transpiring up here. So yeah, it's good yeah. to get ahead of the game and have a wee chat about it and see what, what it is and will it work. Well, look oh, at this, okay. this means if, if it's 1,028 is the average Fife rented home for their deposit, yeah. you know, when you think about it, this means that finding that amount of money at the time of moving home can be difficult for many tenants. And thus, yeah. they might be actually become stuck in their existing rental. Because it's like, yeah. how on earth are you meant to get another £1,000 deposit if you're moving from one house to the next? And this is the theory behind the uh, lifetime deposit. So this yeah. could possibly be transferable in some sort of way. Um, so Westminster wants to propose in the white paper a new deposit scheme for tenants. The deposit is transferable from the old landlord or the letting agent um, to the new landlord or letting agent, thus making the life simpler as the tenant doesn't need to save for an additional new deposit every time they move. Now, here's the clincher here. And you're probably thinking, wait a minute, this isn't right, James. <laughs> I can see all the pitfalls here and where this could all go horribly wrong. Um, now, of course, it's vital that any new deposit scheme does not dissuade Fife landlords from making valid claims from for damage uh, to properties. Landlords cannot be expected to give up the right of recourse to a security deposit until such time they're satisfied that they will, they will no, not need to claim. And there's, a, there's a, a point in case straight away, isn't it? Yeah. You know, so how could you transfer that deposit to another one if a landlord's got a claim straight away? Yeah, that's going to be the main thing that's going to be in every, the forefront of everybody's mind because they're going to they're going to be thinking, well, the deposit is there held for any liability for damages. So how could we transfer it to a new property without um, obviously dealing with the the um, the end of the tenancy before? And I think I, I know where it's come from this lifetime deposit because I, I deal with it all the time and tenants are under the impression that they could use their deposit for one property and put down on the next. And you're like, no, we have to, if they finalise this this tenancy, make sure everything's okay, sign it off, then the deposit scheme will re- return your deposit. But that's not going to be in a time for them to use that to put down on another property. So they have to come up with this money. And that could be a problem for people. I mean, um, coming up with kind of uh, that amount of money to put down on a new property where you put money tied up somewhere else is not always feasible for everybody. So I know where the the premise of the ideas come from, but will it work is the big question. James? Is there there not something along the lines of 10-day turnaround as well from the point that the tenant moves out to get all the checks done and make preparations? Yeah, there's a time frame. There's a time frame for that process, definitely. Yeah. So that could cause problems going from one one tenancy to the next. Yeah, I mean, it it almost sounds like, geez, how, how... I think I think sometimes the governments just think things up in a room, and, and think this this sounds a great idea, and it's like how could we implement this? And but the practical reality is, is it entirely possible? I mean, so let's look at that. So so how would lifetime deposits actually work? Um, there would need to be some sort of system for safeguarding that the new Fife landlord is protected, um, by the whole deposit even if the deposit on the old five home comes into dispute. So, yeah. so how's that, you know, how's that going to be possible? I mean, you know, I'm going to move and I'm going to take my deposit with me. Well, how could you take your deposit with you if there's recourse? 
And then why should, you know, the next person is going to have to accept you um, before that's actually settled. Um, but I, I, I can't see how that, I mean, it's critical and central the, to, to landlords having the conviction in a lifetime deposit itself. And this could be something like a, well, it could be something like an interest-free loan for the for the tenant on a mm -hmm. crossover between the properties. Um, and then it's settled once the deposit's transferred. Um, another advantage to the scheme is that lifetime deposits could be used for tenants to build up a deposit for a house. That's another one for the future. Yeah. Um, so, you know, is, will that be entirely possible? James? I don't think £1,000 is going to be enough to go towards a deposit. That's, <laughs> that's the issue. And the other thing in, in terms of that is what happens when tenants want to trade up. They go from a two-bed that they've maybe put a £500 deposit on, want to move into something that's going to be a £1,000 deposit. They still have to find that shortfall. Yeah, they're going that's to have to assuming, that. That's assuming that the, the current tenancy doesn't have any issues on checkout. Mm -hmm. Just going to so, say, because deposit dispute and, and that whole process can can become tricky um, and it can, it can become lengthy as well and uh, I think uh, like you say that there could be, it could be a bigger deposit moving on so you need to supplement that um, but I would hate to think that they would just implement something like this without properly troubleshooting it because if they were just to implement some sort of system like this and say let's see how it gets on uh, then I think it could get messy because there's a lot of there's a lot of ifs and buts around that um, definitely. I don't know if the government will implement something like that straight away without actually thinking it through. <laughs> well, from a previous uh, hat that I had as an IT contractor, I've worked on government contracts in the past, and uh, they've not been particularly great when transferring from one ownership to another ownership and so on. Uh, particularly with the, I was working with the Crown Office at the time. Uh, things went missing all the time, so it could be an administrative headache for all concerned, the tenant, the landlord, and whoever runs the scheme. Yeah, and and that's that's kind of like uh, the custodial schemes now, and the way they're working. I mean, they, you know, I, they don't get any interest at all on what they're actually investing because they're literally nothing. No banks are paying interest on anything. So when you think about the logic, of it, um, how on earth are they supposed to survive day to day? It's, it's Where money, are they getting the money? <laughs> Where are they getting the money to pay people? Yeah, that's a weird one, eh? That like, die, that's interesting to find out. I, um, I never even thought of that. It, could that? Hey, wait a minute. Could that be a, a Ponzi scheme? <laughs> it does be a cost that we're going to have to bear. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's going to have to pay for that scheme. Have to come to somewhere. It, exactly. it might actually. It might actually come to that where if interest rates don't go up and they don't get a return, they might end up having to turn around and saying, "Look, we're going to have to. We're going to have to start charging landlords." Um, or it could be, I don't know what's happening just now, maybe landlord registration is actually giving them some money towards running the schemes. I'd be interested to actually find that out. I'll be, yeah. I'm going to do a wee bit of digging on that and ask that question now, now this has actually come up. I'm glad we did this. I was yeah. I was a bit reluctant to do it because it's it's completely nothing to do with Scottish legislation. It's to do with England, but, but it could have ramifications for us, but it's actually just popped that into my mind about the fact that, wait a minute, who's paying to run the custodial schemes if they're not making any money on the interest, which is what that was meant to run it with. Mm -hmm. How's that getting financed? Who's run, who's paying it? Well, I'd like um, to think all these things are considered in the round, you know. Uh, we don't want a scheme like this getting poorly implemented and with the issues further down the line. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for, I'm all for things that obviously, for change and things that make things a lot more streamlined and easier. I mean, 
I mean, when I first started in Lettons, there wasn't any deposit scheme, there wasn't any, I mean, inventories uh, weren't, uh, they, weren't they really at the uh, forefront, uh, uh, obviously, uh, the process. It's so. key, Richard, because in the beginning, what we used to do is, um, for example, uh, you know, Roger. So Roger Summers, Roger used to phone me up and say, look, so-and-so's moving to my house. You know, mm -hmm. have you got any problems with it? Do you think you're claiming the deposit? And I went, no, I'll be fine. And he says, any chance you could just transfer the deposit to me because they want it yeah. transferred. I checked with them and all the rest of it says, yeah, that's fine, transfer it to him. Um, and I transferred it to him and vice versa. You would do that with the landlords you knew. Yeah. So that lifetime deposit actually existed in our world um, way before then, um, way before, well, deposit before schemes all, when it all started, I, before deposit schemes even existed. Mm -hmm. um, so we were happy to do that, but we trusted each other because we were able to tell each other and speak to each other. How that system gets involved, I don't know in that process. I mean, you know, this is, I mean, what about the existing uh, system now? The rules regarding the amount of deposit held by a Fife landlord were changed a couple of years ago. Um, where There's only two months to take it, Richard. You can only... Yeah, uh, up to two months. Two months at the very maximum can be held as a deposit. It must be in a government custodial scheme. However, most landlords only ask for one one month's rent, typically, don't they? Yeah, I think to ask for two months' rent, plus a, a month's rent in advance, things, it kind of mounts up, and it's quite a lot to expect for someone um, up front. So typically, a month's rent, and uh, we've, we've started implementing kind of pay deposit things, but they're not mandatory. But yeah, typically a month. Some landlords <sighs> might not ask for a deposit at all, will they? Um, because you can get a guarantor. Yeah. So that's an easier way of doing it, actually. You get a guarantor because I'll 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 bet your bottom dollar if you get a guarantor and it's cast iron, it's far better than having a deposit. Um and yeah, it makes sure. it easier for the tenant to get access to, to a property for having that guarantor. Um the deposit for five tenants have to be have to be uh, saved for you know, certainly raises the cost of renting a, a five home when you think about it. Um, and then you also think about as well, what's the what's the situations where Maybe the deposit would be more than one month, one month's rent. What would you say? When would you say that would that would probably happen for a tenant? Um, we've got scenarios where um, sometimes when there's a property that's got really um, high spec fittings and things like that, things that could cost a lot to repair um, or replace, then that kind of commands a higher uh, deposit. And then, like I said there about pet deposits and things, people are happy to accept pets if they pay a wee bit extra on the deposit. Um, and we'll typically call it a month's rent deposit, and then we'll have an extra few hundred pounds as a paid deposit as such. Uh, and yeah. people are happy to do that. Mm -hmm. Some say the extra burden puts a nail in the coffin of the dream of home ownership for the five five renters. Um, to give you an idea, the level of deposits held with five rental companies or five rental properties. How much do you think that, that total is? Sixteen million in yeah. tenants' deposits. That is a big number, isn't it? That's a big number. Wow. It doesn't surprise me, though. And it's getting virtually nothing in interest. I, I know. Yeah. And and I think I immediately think to myself, God, I mean, how many buy to -like properties could you buy for that? <laughs> <laughs> I know I shouldn't think like that. And, and it's a, we're, we're, you know, we're genuinely, we're genuinely concerned, you know, because we want to see a healthy um, Fife rental market, don't we? We want yeah, to see a healthy not. rental market in its entirety. And we want to have people able to live in safe and comfortable homes and for landlords and investors to make an adequate return as a result of that because they're providing a facility for people. Um, but we don't. what we don't want is a case of um, all the houses being taken into the private rental stock and no one able anything to buy that can buy 
And that's not very often that happens because, as we said in previous shows before, James, every single tenant we rent to um, is not in a position to buy a home at all um, and never will be in a position to buy a home at all. So the houses that we are supplying are really taking the place of the local authorities' obligation, which they can't fulfil because they've not built enough houses and they're Absolutely. still continuing not to build enough houses. So it will continue. Um, so there's 16 million in deposits, yet the other side of the argument contends that if the fight tenant misses more than one month's worth of rent, the landlord is immediately out of pocket. Uh, even before they've even got the cost of the solicitor and any improvement works um, from the tenant trashing the place, for example. So, mm -hmm. you know, you put a lifetime deposit down and you put like one month's deposit, but that's literally gone as soon as somebody, you know, damages the carpet, rips the, you know, rips the wallpaper, um, doesn't pay for one month's rent. Because um, then, then you're out of pocket straight away because legal costs in order to proceed for eviction, if it did come to that, um, which is very few and far between. Let me point this out again. Eviction as a eviction as a last recourse. It's a last resort. It never should be the first answer to any issue. It should be talking to the tenant, communicating between the parties, mediation if needed, and coming to an amicable solution in order to move forward to maintain the tenancy and make sure the tenant is safe and healthy and in, in, in their environment and in their tenancy. Evictions are very, very last resort, and it's very, very rare it happens. We always get to see it, though, and the reason that we get to see it is because it's sensationalised in the newspapers and the media. Nobody wants to hear, oh, I've kept my tenancy every single day, do they? They want to hear about people getting thrown out in the street and, you know, all these things, because everybody likes a good, neggy story. That's really what yeah. it comes down to. Yeah, and it ends up on Channel 5 anyway. Uh, well, say <laughs> well, that. Yeah. Uh, say that. You know, you, know what, you know what I'm saying next, eh? Yeah, tune uh, in tomorrow. All uh, right, so tune in. Tune in Sunday at 10.30. Sunday at 10.30. I've got Paul Champolina from Landlord, Slum Landlords, Tenants from Hell, Channel 5. He's going to be doing my Sunday slot with me, Paul Champolina. So tune in live on these channels. And you can ask Paul live any questions you want. You know, what was his toughest eviction? You know, did he get into fisticuffs with some people? Was it off camera? All these things I'll be asking him. Definitely. I'm wanting I'm wanting to I'm wanting to spill the beans and everything. That'll be good. So tenant trash in a place and all the rest of it. Um, I mean one month's deposit wouldn't really um cover the decent level of protection for the, the damage of the rent on the property either. Uh, so would you, when you consider this is a, oh, this is a start with when you consider the total value of all the private rented properties in Fife is three billion. That is a startling figure. Now that's a figure. <laughs> I saw you. I saw your eyes go softer there, James. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Yeah, it's a lot of bread. Yeah, that's a lot eh, when you think about yeah. it. For such a small county, certainly. I know it is, yeah. Um, so, you know, your your money's going to be eaten up straight away, isn't it? You know, as soon as as soon as there's any damage. I mean, what? Let Let's talk about what's the typical damages that could happen in a property. Yeah, I mean, your typical things is carpets. Yeah, uh, carpets, wall damage, um, cleaning's a big thing as well. Dirty ovens, hobs, kitchens, greasy kitchens, dirty bathrooms, seals on baths, um, unventilated rooms that I've got, obviously. Uh, mold and things on the walls. These are all your typical things. Dropping the uh, bottles on the sink. 
Yeah. Yeah. Animal damage. I've had that a couple of times. I've dropped a perfume bottle in the sink and it's just basically cracked it. And and believe it or no, it's it's been like, oh well, it's just cracked. It'll be all right because you can still use it. But, well, it wasn't cracked before. I mean, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm wanting it back how I got it. That's no wear and tear. That's damage. Also, uh, door handles, window handles, the things that are used a lot and people are harshy with and, and didn't really take care. Um, see that as well. They're all common things. and They're all, they're all commonly used uh, areas in the, the, the house that are used quite a lot. Here's another group um, things about. Bins. Yeah. They're not properly put in all the recycled stuff, so oh, therefore yeah. you have to get pay to dump them, and then garden out the back. Yeah. So a yeah. lot of people neglect that before they leave as well, um, and that's another thing that has to be. So when you think about that, that deposit could disappear in one foul swoop, really. Yeah, and that's, I mean, like you say, it's not necessarily like you're walking into a property that's trashed or wrecked, but all these wee things that maybe aren't been maintained or looked after properly, they mount up, and a one month's deposit sometimes isn't it always cover it. I mean, the time you cut, cut gardens and clean places and maybe replace a carpet, you're done. Do you think that's why there's the importance of uh, image inspection at the beginning, James? I don't recommend an inventory getting done anyway. Uh, yeah. To avoid those sorts of things because the, the purpose of the inventory is obviously so that if you have to make claim at a later stage, then you've got everything in minutia detail. You know, if, if there's damage there, at the start of the tenancy, you're not going to be able to charge the tenant for damage on the way out when it's something you've known about all along. Yeah. And uh, inventory checks deal with that sort of thing, you know, a crack switch or whatever. Although I do, re I do remember the case in the very beginning when I first started and a guy stood up and said, look, you know, this is why you need to do a proper condition and inventory report. And uh, he says he bought a brand new new build property and the builder painted the walls magnolia as they did at that time. So they had that standard magnolia he didn't do an inventory, and when the tenant moved out, the the, the walls were pink. <laughs> and he said, "Wait a minute, I'm keeping your deposit because you basically destroyed the walls. You know, they were they were magnolia." And and she went, she went, "No, they weren't. They were pink." <laughs> and he went, "Well, you know they were because I moved you in, and it was only literally about six months ago, and I got it off the builder, and the builder painted the magnolia. No, they weren't." And and immediately he went right. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it. He got the lawyer's letter, and the lawyer said basically prove yeah. it. Yeah. And he couldn't. He? And he had to give her a deposit back. And then he had to pay about two thousand pounds to decorate the whole house, all because he couldn't pay somebody seventy quid or eighty quid to do an inventory, a condition report in the beginning. So it's it's key and essential to do something like that in the beginning to make sure you're covered. Absolutely. The thing right. is had they pushed it, it would also cost them a, a lot in legal fees eventually. <laughs> yeah, as well, and then the back and forward, and all because of that. So it's it's key to actually work on these sort of things. So, you know, this is... We weren't really meant to cover that, but I kind of thought it would cover... <laughs> it's important for that when you're talking about deposits. That's exactly why I did this, because I kind of thought there's other things that are going to get talked about, and we've never really talked about the, the reasoning behind that and why you would do that and what things could happen and what things to watch out for if you're a landlord. And looking after a property and 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 how how would these things all happen? So what are what are our thoughts on lifetime deposits? Well, my opinion, okay, let's kick off with that. Uh, the common need for five tenants to stump up a twofold deposit is not helping many five renters uh, when it comes to moving home. It's clear that the standard cash down deposit 
is not really for, fit for purpose in the 21st century. Um, it's becoming more and more difficult for tenants actually to come up with this. And like, you, like you'd seen there, it's a thousand pounds on average through five. Uh, one might suggest that the government's quest for a lifetime deposit in England could open the door to other deposit alternatives that have come to the market for tenants in the last few years and will see some benefits incorporated into Scotland. Um, will we see an adoption of the custodial schemes in Scotland? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's definitely, I mean, that's definitely possible. And I think there's a lot of different things that could maybe, uh, ways it could go here. Um, and I think, like you say, we'll see how it, how it turns out down south when they, when they actually roll it out. Um, but um, I'm not sure. I'm a bit on the fence about it, to be honest, um, whether it would work or not. What do you think, James? I think there's worth to be recognised place. Like we said, what happens if you know they go into the first tenancy, it's six hundred pound deposit, two hundred pounds of damage on checkout, they're down to four hundred pounds. Uh, as long as there's some sort of mechanism to make sure that they top that up prior to going into the next tenancy and each yeah. subsequent tenancy. You, what you don't want is for it to continually dilute it to the point where there's no deposit left. Yeah. And then the tenants having to find a massive deposit for the next tenancy. Or they're gonna to have to they're gonna to have to work out some sort of pre-arranged inspection to, to come to account of what the cost is gonna be before the tenant moves out to give them the chance to actually rectify it or actually forfeit that straight away. Um so a sort of advanced thing. Now we've tried to do this in the big we've we've always tried to do this anyway, Richard, haven't we? We've yeah. always sent a letter out before. As soon as the tenant gives notice, it's like we send a standard letter out and it basically or an email out and says, Look, this is what we're gonna do on your checkout. It's going to be bang, 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 bang. This is what your, your house should be like. This is your tenancy inspection report from before. So we need to write, We need to have that back as it is, minus fair wear and tear, if you lived in it for a wee while, and what fair, and fair wear and tear means. Um, so so ideally, in an ideal world, if everything's right, then we should actually be getting the property back how it is, or the yeah. tenant should be coming to us and saying, look, you need to deduct a certain amount because of this and because of that, and we come to an agreement before they move on. So that should all be done. But guess what? In an ideal world, in a commercial reality, that doesn't happen. Because and I have, yeah? yeah, I have done like pre-exit inspections just to kind of gauge what the property is going to be like if, if I'm moving one person to another, to another property. Um, and you go in and things are fine. But it's not until you're actually on that day to sign out and the place is empty, then you start to see things in a different light. And you think, mm, I've never seen that because the couch was in the road. And, Never seen that. There's a table there. I mean, so really, you, you could you could maybe get a, a rough idea, but you don't get the full picture until the property is empty and on the table. Because James is smiling there as well, and thinking, yeah, I mean, you know, absolutely see that as well. Definitely, it's, I've it's seen rubbish get done the way out. <laughs> yeah, when you when you think when you think um, it looks perfect when you're in there with the furniture, and then when they take everything out, it's like, wait a minute, this doesn't look like what it was in the beginning. Yeah. Um, it's almost like I've got the sign off, so it doesn't matter about what I leave it with now. You know, that's the sort of thing. Whereas, actual fact, you should be leaving it exactly how you got it, um, irrespective of the sign off has been done prior to that. Um, or or there will, there will be recourse in some sort of way. Yeah? yeah. Okay, so some landlords don't require a deposit yet, are compensated by asking the tenant to pay a higher, higher uh, rent to cover it. Uh, and that's the one we talked about previously. Some landlords actually say didn't pay the deposit, just pay two months rent, um, mm -hmm. but actually pay a month every month, 
you know, in advance all the time. So you've always got two months in advance all the time. That's how they get around that deposit mechanism system and having to put a, an amount in a custodial scheme. Uh, also, there are companies that offer insurance back deposits. You know, they they actually underwrite it for the tenant. So they yeah. actually take a week of the, a, a week's rent or something like that as the underwriting insurance and they pay out if anything goes wrong. There is also, you have the bond schemes, you know, from uh, uh, Cornerstone for people that are actually in a position that they can't afford the deposit. They yeah. actually guarantee up to a certain amount, minus certain things. However, you know yourself, these are actually becoming very difficult to use now because of the impending difficulties around um, um, if anything goes wrong, basically you're going to be six months to get any 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 notification of, of being able to do any eviction at all. Yeah. And and you tend, because of these type of deposit schemes, the people that actually help tend to be in a more vulnerable situation and are more likely to not sustain a tenancy uh, or find it more difficult to sustain a tenancy than other mainstream people do. So it's it's actually it actually put us in a difficult position. We can't help as many people as we used to help. Is that, yeah, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's become it's become a lot more difficult to to use these kind of and work alongside with these kind of schemes, uh, especially obviously recently, like you say, with the notice implications and things. Um, and it's a shame because we worked closely with them for, and we still do to a certain uh, extent, but not as much as we did. But it kind of facilitates people in a more of a vulnerable situation and financially and, and things to help house them and, and we were all for that and we still are obviously it's just it's, it's become a little bit more difficult to kind of uh, work with them just due to how things uh, the situation of things just now yeah, yeah. other countries already offered deposit loans and guarantee schemes did you know that i mean this could be something that the scottish government uh for them to contemplate uh, but we must wait until at least spring 2022 for the renters' reform white paper to be published in England. Then every stakeholder involved, that's the tenants, the landlords, the agents, uh, etc., uh, can look into it in the cold light of day and decide how this will actually affect the view of the landlord, the agent, and the tenant, um, uh, its relationship and how that will work. Yeah. Uh, many, many will say that the bigger issue isn't left-in deposits in the white paper, but the removal of the no-fault Section 21 eviction uh, which has been done, which has already been done in Scotland, and yeah. and to be honest, I don't think they should be worried about it too much because, again, I come back to saying that you know we never ever want to evict people, um, we always want to maintain steady, stable tenancies and look after people in order for a fair return. That's really what it's down to. So eviction always a last resort, and it's very rare it actually happens. However, when your risk is taking, uh, when you're when you're putting a more vulnerable and riskier situation, you tend to then avoid taking tenants you would have otherwise taken because of the way the system's been changed, which means yeah. it's the ones that would normally typically be housed by social housing and affordable housing um, is actually not getting housed anymore at all, because believe it or not, they're actually cherry picking, mm -hmm. so they don't actually take the vulnerable tenants in society anymore. They actually leave them to the side and actually take our money as taxpayers, use it to build houses. It's me getting my soapbox. Use it to build houses. And then they actually cherry pick the good tenants. And they don't actually look after the tenants they were supposed to look after in the first place. Job done, eh? Yeah. They do it. And then they leave it to us to, to provide. And then they blame us for anything going wrong. <laughs> but that's no, that's no, well, it wouldn't be a show about me having a go, eh? No. <laughs> 
So many will say the bigger issue isn't the lifetime deposits, as I said, but this removal of Section 21 and something currently the English government was having a place to bring in during the parliamentary cycle because they actually stuck their colours to the mast and they said, yep, we're going to be doing that. And I don't think English landlords should be concerned about removal of the no-fault Section 21 evictions, but what will replace it to ensure that a suitable redress for landlords if a tenant doesn't pay the rent? Scottish legislation is a bit more robust. I mean, we're quite, we're quite lucky because our legislation is a bit more robust. Yeah. Um, than English legislation, and it has given us more protection over overall um, uh, for the discretionary and mandatory grounds of eviction. So they should really look to do the same, I think. Of course, as this will, with everything, will change legislation, a handful of Fife landlords will decide to sell the rent of portfolios. That'll exactly happen. That always happens, doesn't it? You know, we hear this every time, James. Eh? Oh, I'm I'm leading the market, and I'm yeah, like, well, I'm nervous. buying more then if that's the case. People get nervous when uh, there's any sort of change in legislation. For some people, this might be the final nail for them. But yeah. then, you know, it's an opportunity for others, you know. I mean, I'm quite happy to take on tenants property or whatever, uh, if the price is right. I dare say so are you, Jim. Absolutely. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I don't envisage any issues to it. Um, if, the, if, the, if the numbers are right and it works, then, you know, I don't see any reason why not. It, it's just that I think people just have this, well, we'll call it fear. I mean, it's false expectations appearing real. Well, the, the thing is, it's a win-win for everyone, though. The tenants can remain in place. You know, you've got a new property on your list. And, uh, yeah, the the department landlord gets a clean exit. Yeah. I've done a lot of deals like that recently. And I think over the last year or so, with coronavirus and implications of notice, fear is... Some landlords have just been like, I'm done and exiting the market. Um, and I started to see that and I thought, God, is this going to be a thing? And then the the new the new blood coming in and new investors uh, is outweighed that. So I bet yes. it's good to see. It's because, it's because, again, when I go back, you know, sometimes I have a wee moan fest about it, about all the tax advantages we had years ago. Yeah. But the reality is, it's still okay just now. The numbers still work just now, fine. Um, but some of the landlords from previous think, oh, because it's no as good as what it was, and they've never, they've never, dare I say, they've never actually invested correctly. They've not actually looked after the portfolio properly. They've not, uh, they've taken far too much out of their company. They've been lazy in their occupancy rate and making sure it's not occupied enough. Um, they've been, you know, just all these different things that have led up to that combination of the fact that they're on the they're on the borderline of you know if anything changes then they're, they're not making money um whereas someone like us james it's like we make sure the interest rates are the best interest rate um the occupancy rates at the highest occupancy rate mm -hmm. the, the condition of the property at the best condition it can to attract the best quality tenant mm -hmm. and and the rental level is it a is it a decent rent and, and i'm not saying it's at the maximum rent but it's certainly at least at the what we call the local housing allowance rate, and um, which is actually the 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 medium amount that the rent assessor actually says should be charged in Fife for that type of tenure of property, um, based on the highest point and the lowest point and the the what they call the third quarter, the first quartile in between, yeah, um, yeah. in there. So that's how they work that out. So it is actually a reasonable amount of rent that we charge. So it's not extortionate. Um, so if you get that right and you get the numbers right, then you shouldn't worry at all. There's nothing to worry about. And it's just a change of contract, really, at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. So this is how I see it. 
This will reduce supply and availability for five rental properties, meaning rents will rise, classic textbook supply and demand. Yep. Thus, landlords, yields, and returns will rise as a result. That's exactly what will happen. When legislation comes in and they do stupid things like this, this is what happens every single time. They just force rents up as a result because they restrict supply because they put people off coming into the market. Job done, eh? How to how to muck it up is put further <laughs> legislation in. That's the, that's what the government does all the time. They and they're always tinkering with it, so there's, there's there's going to be more. Exactly, and 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 it puts people off exit in, in the market. It restricts supply, demands all the air, so it still continues to go up as a result. So they cause the problem in the first place to themselves. The answer to this is make sure you enforce the current legislation and find the ones that are actually doing it incorrectly. Yeah re-educate them, find the ones that are doing it criminally and get rid of them. That's the key to this answer, to professionalise the, the, the thing and actually work hand in hand with landlords to move forward. Um, is that kind of, I'm on the right track with you two guys? Are you thinking yeah, similar? I yeah, I would agree. And I think as well, it's like, it's no, it's, it's no that you're not, we're not for change and not for legislation, obviously. I think it's the amount of changes that they do, like you say, they keep tinkering with James, and over such short period of time, um, which causes all these 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 problems. Uh, so I would definitely agree with that. As long as it's not a change for change's sake, it's it's done with some thought and implementation, yeah. and it's justified. Um, Sometimes it's just a vote winner, isn't it? Well, if you mm. look at the, if you look at the next thing that's come along, the CPC or C, uh, that's yeah. going to be. Impossible it's a challenge for a lot of people. Exactly, exactly. But yeah. I'm bearing this in mind when I'm doing refurbs and stuff like that. So I'm yeah. trying to hit that now yeah. so that I don't have that hassle six months, 12 months, three years I, from now. That's the great thing. You's a, you've, you've taken all that cost into account so far. You've hedged yourself against that. It's coming in. Therefore, when it happens, you've got all these landlords that go, I can't afford to do that. I'll have to sell. And you just sit there and go, oh, I'll pick that up if you like. <laughs> yeah, and the thing as well, James. Obviously, like you say, you've got that in the forefront of your mind. You think about that. And I think the types of properties that you pick up, like these ex-local authority types, that they're, they're not as difficult to bring up to that EPC level. Whereas there's a, a lot of properties that I know that will be very difficult. To Absolutely, standing the building some of these ex-local authority houses are a lot better than some of these new builds that you get now. Even yeah, yeah. I think as well that the most important thing to do is. Um, uh, it is really enforced the current legislation. There is a lot of landlords out there, and you know, I'm not saying a lot, as in a significant amount. I'm just saying, you know, there's a fair amount that probably don't understand the legislation as it stands now, and that's why I said re-educating the landlords that don't understand it and actually getting them to comply with it. Um, there's some that's probably not got EICRs. There's probably some that's not got heat and smoke detectors correctly. There's some that actually don't have, you know, proper planning for um, um, changes they've made to the property or building warrants or anything like that. Um, so these are all things that need to be re-educated. There's some that are actually don't even have the right tenancies. I've actually got landlords that are actually professional landlords that are still working on short issue tenancies. And it's like, oh, is it changed? Is it changed? Yes, four years ago. It's like, are you joking? You're joking. It's like, oh, I didn't realise it changed. It's like, 2017, you know, isn't it? December 2017, yeah. Jesus peeps, it's like, but but that's that's the state of the play. That this is why we had said to them. I actually genuinely think that every single landlord should have to go through a letting agent. 
and every single letting agent then would then be placed correctly as a result of that to make sure it's run properly and then also enforced to make sure that every single person that works in lettings is professionally qualified. And yeah. Well, the government one, did try... Not just one person, they now. The government did try to flip that on its head at one point. They were talking about uh, people that self-manage having to have the level five uh, residential lettings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's how I ended up with your big book and I've not read it yet. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's the thing, you know, it's the, the thing that I don't understand just now and I don't agree with is how just one person in a letting agency could be let well qualified yeah. under the government approved scheme and that means they're allowed to trade as a letting agent it should be everybody that's involved in, in lettings it should actually be let well qualified so until that and that's what we did in the beginning we put everybody involved in lettings including myself as let well qualified yeah. uh, and i'm not involved really in lettings that much now because i'm just an investor and i just richard runs the lettings division um but i still make sure i'm let well qualified yeah. to make sure that i'm still in a position to actually advise people if it comes to it um, okay, so yet, because tenants still can't afford to save the deposit for a home and we're all living longer, the demand for rental properties across Fife will continue to grow in the next 20 to 30 years. The reason being we're still not building our homes to accommodate the growing and ageing population. As I said before, the Scottish Government is committed to building 110,000 houses of more affordable homes in the next 10 years. Now, that doesn't mean to say they're to rent. That just means to say they could be to buy. So that even mm -hmm. that that gets even worse then. And so they're even still playing catch up there now. And this means that in turn, uh, this means that we'll turn to into more European ways where the norm is to rent rather than buy in the twenties and thirties. Uh, and then that's the reality. There's nothing wrong. It's because the stigma everybody used to say about you've rented. I mean, I remember when I was really, really young, there was a stigma if you had a council house, you rented your council house. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what what was that all about? You know, is that, that was just a them and us thing. I didn't, yeah. I, 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 now I look back and I think, God, that was just another way to manipulate somebody and bully them. Um, yeah. it, was just, it was stupid. Um, but you had a stigma. And then the Thatcher government went in and said, you can buy your council house. And everybody was like, you live in a council house. You jammy yeah, buggers, you, you got it for a, you got it yeah. for a <laughs> Do you know why that was, though? Because at the end of the 70s and the early 80s, there was a lot of striking reminders and stuff like that. And if you've got a, a debt hanging over your head, you're less likely to strike. So, yeah, you can buy your council house. <laughs> Good point. I never thought it like that. <laughs> but but then then the ethos turned round to, it flipped round, didn't it? Because then everybody used to think, oh, you live in a council house. Wow, you must have made a fortune on that. Minted. So it kind, yeah. of, it kind of flipped it around. They're like, wow, you live in the council house. Well, well done you. You must have been a mint. Um, and, and then that's where all the money came from when you thought about it to property investing. And then that's where the money came from as well to to do um, what is it when we started to buy shares and PLCs and the water yep. companies and electricity companies. Telecom. There, was, there, was, ah, there was an abundance of money that came into the market as a result of that. So I think we're just becoming more European. Uh, which means new buy-to-let landlords were attracted to the market, buy properties for rental market in Fife, and enjoy these high yields and returns. I mean, it's it's an interesting way that this all goes full circle when you think about it. Uh, do you think this all... It'll just continue to go like this, won't it? It's always in cycles, and, you know. Yeah. Legislation tries and chases those cycles, and, and inadvertently they create a new cycle. That is a really good point, James. I mean, that's that's a really good good one to, visit, uh, to finish on. Just say that again. Can I remember what I said? Right, so what <laughs> happens is legislation will come in uh, mid-cycle. So we've just changed to adapt that legislation. 
But then that, uh, then and then it creates another cycle, cycle inadvertently. Exactly. Wow. And on that note, on that note, that's it, really. You've you've yeah, hit the nail on the head, James. That like, we, see if you said that in the beginning, that would have been the show over. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. If anybody else has got any questions, please feel free to ask us on the rerun. Uh, you can message us direct as well. You can call on any of the officers or speak to Richard yeah. or myself, or if you get a chance to speak to James as well, he's on social media. And uh, until next time, guys, uh, bye-bye for now. Thanks for that, Jim. Yes, thanks again.